Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, as we look at the life of Paul again, we see his faithfulness to you. Father, teach us to be faithful like Paul was. Give us the strength. Give us the faith. And Father, just may our lives be pleasing to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we looked and uh, did kind of did a review. It was our first week back in Acts after a while. And, and uh, kind of caught back up and finished chapter 23. We talked about... Uh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to review a little bit and point out a few things from the beginning of chapter 23 because I want you to, to make a mental note of them or a literal note in, on your piece of paper because you're going to see how it's going to fit into today in chapter 24, okay? At the beginning of 23, Paul was looking at ten, intensely at the council and he said, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. And at that, the high priest went ballistic on him. He told somebody standing next, the high priest told somebody standing next to Paul, slap him. Because he, 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 he felt like he was blaspheming. He said, because he, he knew Paul, he knew his life, and he said there's no way when he was persecuting the way before he saw Jesus, he's saying that he could live that in clean conscience, and then he met Jesus, and now he's preaching and teaching the way, he's preaching and teaching Jesus, those, those two can't mesh. So somebody slap him and knock some sense into him. Remember, Ananias was the high priest here. At the end of verse 2 says, Strike him on the mouth. And Paul then said, God is going to strike you, you washed wall. And do you sit, and do you sit to try me according to the law and in violation of the law? Order me to be struck. Okay? Remember those. Remember the players there. Remember what Paul said. Because we're going we're gonna to encounter him again today, okay? And then in verse 6, Paul had said, I am on trial for the hope and the resurrection of the dead. We know that, if you remember back to last week, that that, that was uh, Paul pitting the Pharisees against us. They were all on the Sanhedrin. They were all on the, the Council of Seventy, we'll call it. But Paul, he figured he was in trouble with the high priest. And he needed, he needed an out, and this was his out. He got the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees to fight with each other. And then the, and then the Roman commander, remember Claudius Lysias? He kind of reached in and, well, he didn't, but his guys did. Reached in and Paul pulled out of there because otherwise Paul was going to get his neck wrung, literally. So at, the, at verse 10 there, great dissension was developing and the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them, and he ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. And then that, that precious, precious verse 11. But later that night, immediately following, the Lord stood at Paul's side and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must also witness at Rome. Christ is telling Paul, you, you have done the ministry, and I, I remember last week, we flipped back to this, I'll flip back to it again. 
if I find it again. Chapter 20, verse 24, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself in order that I may finish my course. And, 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 and that's, that's the famous part of that verse, and we tend to stop there. It says that I may finish my course and... If, if you want to use the, the grammar to, to fully flush it out, that I may finish my course and that I may finish the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel and of the grace of God. And Christ is standing next to him in verse 11 of chapter 23, and he says, Paul, you have done that. You, you have completed the ministry here in Jerusalem that I had for you. And guess what? You're going to make it to Rome because I need you to testify there just as you have here in Jerusalem. Then we have the conspiracy. They wanted him dead. The, the Roman commander had pulled him out a couple times now. They were this close to accomplishing their mission and their ministry was to strangle him. Well, we can't get him that way, so we're going to have to try to do it under, under darkness and, and the conspiracy came to light in verse 16 by the son of Paul's sister, Paul's nephew. It's the only time in the scripture they're referenced to. Verse 23, towards the end of the, towards uh, 30, Paul is moved by the horsemen and the 400 foot soldiers, 70 horsemen, and he is sent up to Caesarea to meet with Felix. Verse 31 to 35, they, they arrive and the soldiers are turning Paul over. They brought, uh, brought him to the barracks. Let's see. They'd read the letter. Uh, verse 33, they delivered the letter to the governor and presented Paul to him and said, I'll give you bearing a hearing after your accusers arrive, giving orders for him to be kept in Herod's praetorium. So he was kept in the governor's mansion. Not bad digs for a prison, huh? Yeah. God's taking care of him. So we get to chapter 24. After five days, the high priest Ananias, there he is. That's that name. That's the one I wanted you to remember, okay? Ananias came down with some elders with a certain attorney named Tertullus, and they brought charges to the governor against Paul. The, attorney, the, word, the Greek word for attorney there means orator. He, he, he waxed great. He was verbose like most lawyers are. Says in 600 words what you could say in six. Well, and, and he, interestingly enough, it's, it's thought because of his name, that's not a Jewish name, it's thought that he was a Gentile. It was interesting that the Jews are now bringing a Gentile lawyer in to help pursue and, and to get rid of Paul. They haven't been successful. They're, they're, they're digging. They're, they're scratching. They, they, they're clawing for anything they can do. They, they need help. They'll look anywhere for it to get rid of this Paul guy. After Paul had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying to the governor, Verse 3, since we have through you attained much peace, and since by your providence reforms are being carried out by the, for this nation, 
We acknowledge this in, the very, in every way and everywhere, most excellent Felix, with all thankfulness. But that I may not worry, weary you any further, I beg you to grant us by your kindness a brief hearing. What a load of malarkey. The Jews hated Felix. The, Felix had put down some uprisings uh, for, for some, some wacko cases, and, and he had just crushed them. He was brutal. There was nothing nice about this guy. Not a thing. And so here's this, this lawyer, in typical lawyer fashion. We don't have any lawyers here, do we? Hey. <laughs> we won't put this one out on there. Just kidding. Just kidding. As they're so known to do, to bloviate, to use, again, a lot of words when few would do. And, and it's funny, he, he says, but that I might not weary you any farther. We know that the, the, the scriptures don't record every single word that, that was said in, in, in sermons and, in, in, uh, because there, there's no way. Some of Paul's are, are just, you know, ten verses, and there's no way any preacher is just going to speak that long. And so, and, and it's through research and, and knowing through, through the other church fathers, we don't have every word of every sermon that was preached. I really don't think we have every word here that this lawyer said in his introduction, trying to puff up and, and make Felix think that, uh, Felix to have a, a feel-good moment here, okay? So when he says that I may not weary you any further, I, I think he probably went on for some time, exaggerating, trying to use flattery to his advantage to get in good with the governor. I, I just, I just, I, I, this, the, these two verses, the second half of verse 2 and verse 3, don't weary me out. So I think he, he went on, okay? But now he's going now he's, now he's to get to the case at hand. He's, he's done lying. The, the Jews had no respect for Felix whatsoever. There, there was, I mean, some of the words that are, are used to describe the relationship, it was bitter, bitter, hatred uh, between them for, for, again, for the way Felix had, had quashed some, some uprisings. But in verse 5, for we have found this man a real pest. Oh, now that's against the law. That's really against the law. He broke a big one there. Were any of you ever a pest to your parents? To a sibling? <laughs> At least we got one honest guy here this morning. Some of you are laughing, but nobody's shaking their heads. Or, oh, okay. Anybody a pest to a teacher at school, maybe? To a classmate? Yeah. Okay. But, but it's not, it, it's, it's, it doesn't, being a real pest to me does not rise to the level of demanding death, okay? That's a, that's a little rough here. We found this man to be a real pest and a fellow who stirs up dissension among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. That's the first right thing or true thing that he says, that, that, that Paul was a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Um, that, 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 that was equated to um, the group called the Way, okay? Verse 6, and he even tried to desecrate the temple... And then we arrested him. 
And, we, and then there's a parenthesis here from the middle of verse 6 to the middle of verse 8. We wanted to judge him according to our law. In other words, we're not telling you this, Felix, but we wanted to kill the guy. Okay, We wanted to judge him according to our own law. But Lysias, the commander, came along and with much violence took him out of our hands. And the violence was all on the Roman commander's part, not on ours, Felix. There was no violence in us. What a liar. What a liar. With much violence, took him out of our hands, ordering his accusers to come before you. We'll get back to the accusers, because the accusers he's referring to are nowhere to be found or seen in this, in this uh, courtroom in Caesarea. Middle of verse 8, By examining him yourself concerning all these matters, you will be able to ascertain the things of which we accuse him, and then uh, just for emphasis and to prove their point, all the Jews joined in the attack, asserting that these things were so. But because of a bunch of mob people say that it was so, then it must be so. Right? No. No. Well, okay, his, again, the flattery was an outright lie. Uh, one, one, one of the commentators says that he had the power of a king with the mind of a slave. He had the power of a king, but with the mind. He, he wasn't a good ruler. He, he didn't know how to, to do things well. He, he was the proverbial bull in the china shop. Tertullus twisted the facts around, made false accusations in 5 and 6. A real pest. A fellow who stirs up dissension among the Jews even tried to desecrate the temple. We're not going to dwell on them a lot. We're going to follow that up a little bit more in Paul's defense and explaining some of those false charges against Paul. But in verse 8, again, the missing witnesses ordering his accusers to come before you. They're just not there. Um, Just briefly to Matthew chapter 26. Our Lord and Savior had similar occurrence or incidents. Matthew 26, 59 and 60. Now the chief priest and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus in order that they might put him to death. Sounds what they're trying to do right here to Paul. They did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. Well, here... They're not even finding the false witnesses. They're not there. We'll get to that in verse 13. The world says, and I mean by, by calling in verse 5, by calling Paul a pest and a fellow who serves up dissension, the, the, the world will, will take anybody that wants to preach and teach and expose their sin for what it is and call them a troublemaker or somebody that ought not to be even alive, and we, we, we're not seeing that in our country right now, but there are Christians around the world that are. May not be too off, far off for us here. Again, are you practicing? Are you practicing? Are you going through the mental process? If 10 guys walked through that door with machine guns right now and said, if you're not a Christian, get out because we're going to kill all the Christians that stay. Practice in your mind. What are you doing? Which door are you going out? 
Or which chair are you going to kneel in front of and pray? Pray for the souls of those ten men. And pray for the souls of those that go out the door. Are you practicing that? Paul was. He was being accused basically of being a disturber of the peace. And again, we'll find, I don't know if we'll get, probably not, um, but towards the end of the chapter, verses 25 and 26, when when Paul is is preaching to Claudius and and to Felix. Just real quick, I find find the word. Okay, Paul was preaching to him. Felix became frightened and said, go away for the present. When I find time, I will summon you. That was the Holy Spirit making that man really uncomfortable because Paul was preaching the truth of the Word. The world does not like to hear their sin called sin. They want to, they want to hear that it's a, a mistake or, or, no, I won't do it again, just something I shouldn't do again. Sin sent our Savior to the cross. And that sin will send you to hell if you do not accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and accept His forgiveness for your sins. Paul wasn't shy about sharing that truth. So to call him a pest and a fellow who stirs up dissension, another has said, and and I know I've, I've quoted this before, it's not much of a quote, but just basically wherever Paul went, there was either a riot or a revival. Okay, one or, one or the other. It was a riot or a revival when, when Paul was in the neighborhood. Now, Paul's going to get his chance to respond. Verse 10. When the governor had nodded for him to speak, Paul responded, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge to this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. He doesn't quite get into the flowery language that Tertullus did, the, the Gentile lawyer. But what he, all he does is expresses that, Felix, I know that you've been the governor here for a while. You know our customs. You know, and, and we'll find towards the end of the chapter, you, his, his knowledge of the way, or at the end of verse 5, the sect of the Nazarenes, he had knowledge and understanding of that because he's been here a while. That's all Paul said. He's, he's not flattering and and, and bloviating and telling a whole bunch of lies about him. He just says, we know that for many years you've been a judge to this nation. And because of that, because he knows that Felix understands, he is happy and cheerful to make his defense. Since Verse 11, since you can take note of the fact that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship, and neither in the temple nor in the synagogue nor in the city itself did they find me carrying on a discussion with anyone or causing a riot, nor can they prove to you that the charges of which they now accuse me. But this I admit to you, that according to the way which they say, which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets, having a hope in God that these men cherish themselves, then there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. Remember Ananias is in that crowd? Remember some of the Sanhedrin came with him from, from Jerusalem up to Caesarea, or down to Caesarea? 
Paul's gonna Paul's gonna repeat that. That there will certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. Verse 16, in view of this, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience, both before God and before men. Ananias is there. Remember that line? Verse, verse uh, 1 from chapter 23, Paul says, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. In his defense before Felix, knowing that Ananias is sitting there, he says, verse 16, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience, both before God and before men. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. He's, he's telling Felix why he was in Jerusalem, in which they found me occupied in the temple, having been purified without any crowd or uproar. But there were certain Jews from Asia who ought to have been present before you and to make accusation if they should have anything against me, or else let these men themselves tell what misdeed they found when I stood before the council. Other than for this one statement, which I shouted out while standing among them, for the resurrection of the dead, I am on trial before you today. Paul's not going to let that one go. <laughs> he, he knows, he knows he, he, wants, he wants the Sanhedrin to know the truth. I mean, there, there's a part of me, and in my orneriness, I would keep saying it because I know it, it would irritate him. I, I don't know if that was part of Paul's attitude or not. It wasn't there. But I think definitely a part of that is because he wanted the Sanhedrin to believe the truth. He didn't want them to become Pharisees. He wanted them to become Christians. He wanted them to follow Jesus. He didn't want them to follow the Jewish law anymore because we know that Jesus Christ fulfilled the law, he fulfilled the temple, and he fulfilled prophecy. And he wants the Sanhedrin to know the truth. So he's going to keep repeating it. Okay, let's go back to, to verse... Uh, Verse 11, pick up there. He says, since you took note of the fact that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. He, he wasn't even in Jerusalem a week. Because in verse 1, after five days, the high priest and I, we know that he's been sitting in Caesarea now for five days. Waiting for the high priest and, and his accusers. So no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem. He was barely in Jerusalem a week. And then through his testimony, he's telling Felix, I, I was basically minding my own business. I, I was in the temple. I was purified. I was cleansed, so I, I, wasn't, I wasn't trying to bring disgrace on the temple. As, as uh, Tertullus would say, uh, uh, verse 6, he even tried to desecrate the temple. He, he says, Felix, I, I was purified. I wasn't meeting with anybody. I wasn't raising a ruckus. And I was barely in Jerusalem a week. Now, we know that it didn't take the Asian Jews a week to stir up a riot and, and try to kill Paul. But Paul was a single man working on his own. He's saying, Felix, I was, I was barely in town. And they're making all these accusations. I mean, they, they have 
no one that here is a witness that supposedly saw these things happen. Neither in the temple nor in the synagogues, not in the city itself, did they find me carrying on a discussion with anyone or causing a riot. Nor can they prove to you the charges of which they now accuse me. Why? Because there's missing witnesses. Again, jump forward with me. Uh, Let's see. Verse 18. In which they found me occupied in the temple, having been purified. In other words, I'm not trying to desecrate the temple. I was purified. There was no crowd. There was no uproar. But there were certain Jews from Asia, verse 19, who ought to have been present before you to make accusation if they should have anything against me. By them making charges against Paul in Jerusalem and not coming to Caesarea with the high priest to stand and and make those charges again and to say, yeah, we're charging him with this and, and, and we were there. We saw this happen. We saw what he was doing when he was out in Asia. He was, he was causing riots there too. I want to read this from Stott, John Stott in his book on Acts. This is in reference to the Asia Jews. Their absence was a serious breach of Roman law, which was very strong against accusers who abandoned their charges. Don't make a charge... And then withdraw it. Because basically what you're telling us is that you're lying. You're going to make a charge just to get this guy in trouble, but when the time for you to show up in court to back it up, you're nowhere found? It's, it's, it's almost like when, when um, Claudius Lysias was having Paul strapped down so they could beat him. That wasn't supposed to happen because Paul was a Roman citizen. And if Lysias had him beaten, he would have been up just for that same punishment. He could have been beaten just like they would have beaten Paul. The the, the Roman law was very strict on this. You can't make charges against somebody and then withdraw them. So you better be behind them. You better support the charges or don't make them at all. And if you're going to make the charges, you better have the witnesses. You better have the proof that you can, that you can nail, nail those charges to the one you're accusing. So Paul says to Felix, there were certain Jews from Asia who ought to have been present before you to make accusation if they really have anything against me. Or let these men themselves tell you what must deed they found when I stood before the council. Tertullus made a mockery of the justice system with all of his lies and twisting of facts. He, he, he twisted it to say that, that it was Claudius Lysias that, that was using force and causing the ruckus, not the Jews. When he came in to save Paul, well, he didn't quite use that term, though. And so the, 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 the high priest and the attorney Tertullus just made a mockery of the system. 
and, and, and with the Jews not, the Asian Jews not showing up to bear testimony to the charges they held against them, it was just another part of that mockery of the, the Roman system. They, they didn't have respect for, for that at all. And that was pretty obvious to Felix. Verse 22, but Felix, maybe we will get to the end here. Uh, but verse 22, but Felix, having a more exact knowledge about the way, okay, I told you earlier that he'd been, you know, Paul was saying when he opened his defense, Felix, you've been here for a while. You understand our customs. You understand what they're talking about when we say the way. But Felix, having a more excellent knowledge of the way, put them off saying, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will decide your case. And he gave orders to the centurion for him to be kept in custody and yet to have some freedom, not to prevent any of his friends from ministering to them. The high priest in Tertullus made a mockery of the justice system. Felix here is delaying the justice system. He, he, he's, he's, he, he's trying to put it off on somebody else. Makes you think back to Pilate and Jesus. But he, he wants somebody else to make the decision. And, and there's two thoughts on that between here and the end of the chapter. Some days later, verse 24, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife. Real quickly, this is the only time in the Bible her name is mentioned. She is his third wife. He took her from her previous husband, basically wooed her away. Her grandfather was the Herod that tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby. A real upstanding and moral individual we have here. Comes from a long line of it. Felix arrives with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewish, and sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became, we briefly mentioned this earlier, Felix became frightened and said, Go away for the present, and when I find time, I will summon you. At the same time, too, he was hoping that money would be given to him by Paul. Therefore, he also used to send, him for, quite, send for him quite often and to converse with him. Felix wanted a bribe. He wanted some money. You know, maybe I'll let you go if you grease my palms. Give me some money. But what is even more powerful, and I believe is the Holy Spirit working in Felix's heart, and Felix didn't want to address it. Felix didn't want to believe, as, the, as, as Paul did, in the whole truth. Paul was, was faithful. He, he was a faithful servant. He was a faithful preacher to the Word of God. Verse 27, After two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. So Felix delays the justice that Paul is due. I mean, two two. Two years. Again, his accommodations weren't bad. Okay? He, he's sitting in the governor's mansion. His friends can bring him food 
and meet his needs whenever they need to, as, as mentioned in verse 23. But yet he's in limbo. And yet, if we go back to verse 11 of chapter 23, when Christ is standing next to him, Paul can live with that promise so that you must witness at Rome also. Paul knows he's going to make it to Rome. He just has to be patient and wait. But while he's waiting, he's preaching the word. He's pre- Every time Felix calls him, he's sharing the good news of the gospel with him. Briefly, in Philippians... I'm not going to find my verse now. Let me see if I can find your Philippians 1, um, 12. Now that I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. How did that happen? Because every time Paul would get a new set of guards, he was kept under guard. He had a lot of freedom. He was living in beautiful digs. But every time he had the opportunity and a new set of guards came in, Paul was preaching to them. Paul was telling them the truth. They had to stay there. They, they, I mean, he had a captive audience. He was the prisoner, but he was holding them captive and sharing the gospel. A faithful servant. Ananias, the high priest, and Tertullus mocked the justice system. Felix delayed the justice. And Paul was patiently waiting for the justice to take place. He was preaching in prison. Verse 15 of Acts 24 says, Having a hope in God... And if you go back to 23.11 again, the reason for that hope is because Christ stood with him and told him that he would go to Rome. But he's, he's not sitting there spinning his tires. He's not sitting there lollygagging or wasting the time. He's being a faithful servant to the guards to preach the word. When given the opportunity, he's telling the truth to Felix and Drusilla. In closing, a short reading from Ironside. And, and this, is, this is the application part. Okay, what do you want me to do with this, preacher? To be faithful. To be a faithful witness. Ironside says, Where is the justice? It is only partially manifest, but a day is coming... And, and this, this, this has a bigger meaning than this chapter 24 in Acts. This has meaning for you to apply in your heart. But a day is coming when all accounts will be settled, when justice will be neither mocked nor delayed, when God will roll up history as a scroll, and the just one, the Lord Jesus Christ, shall reign. The duty of the Christian until that time is to obey, patiently wait, and believe that whatever happens, God is in control. 
But during that time, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to be faithful to our Savior. We have a responsibility to be a faithful witness to the Word of God and to share that Word. Paul, Paul went through some real struggles. I mean, a number of times he was beaten to within an inch of his life, put in prison, shipwrecked, beaten with rods. Talk about sometimes, talk about the epitaph that we want on our gravestone or marker or whatever when we, when we leave this earth. That would be a pretty good one right there. Would it be a twisting of the truth to put that on your headstone? Or would that epitaph be rightfully earned? Father, thank you for your word. And as you tell us to, we ask for wisdom and we ask for more faith. God, help us to be faithful to you. We know that you are faithful to us every day all the way, that you will never leave us. You've made that promise to us, Father, and we know that you don't. Just as you came to Paul in the evening, you said, be of good cheer. Take courage. Father, we want to claim that promise for ourselves, but we know that we need to be faithful to you in proclaiming you to the world around us. Thank you for Paul's testimony. Thank you for his, his standing up for truth, even in the face of the Roman courts, even in the, the, the face of the high priest that just wants to see him dead. Yet he continues to proclaim the word that there is a resurrection and you better be ready for it. Thank you for your word and the promises in it, God. Thank you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.